but thank you so much uh, for for being here. Thank you for uh, your faithfulness to be in the house of the Lord. Well, this morning, um, I'm going to be sharing uh, with you a message entitled Heart Sick. Um, you know, this is uh, the time of year uh, where... Uh, we, we, we like to think about the heart. We like to think about love. Can you believe that it's like February 20th? I mean, this year's flying by. I was visiting with a pastor yesterday, and we were just talking about how quickly the year is moving. And here we are. Uh, we're, 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 we're in the tail end of February, uh, the month of love, the month of the heart. And I thought it would be really fitting today uh, for us to talk about the heart, for us to talk about uh, for us to talk about love. I, I know some of you, uh, some of you maybe uh, your relationship status right now is not what you would like it to be. And so you are really happy to let February 14th go by. And uh, you didn't want to hear any more about it. And uh, some of you, uh, your relationship status is as such that you, this is just a wonderful special time of year for you and you uh, we're, we're kind of thinking, well, is pastor going to talk about love because it's Valentine's time and all that good stuff. And so, uh, this week I am, we're going to talk about the heart. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about love and it, it is important to us. And it's not just about romantic love. Uh, it's about love in general. It's about agape love. It's about the kind of love that God has called all of us to. And, um, I, I, I think that we oftentimes, uh, shy away or I don't want to say shy away, I think we talk about it, but we, we have a difficulty really talking about what the Bible has to say about our hearts and about love, or we go really shallow in that, in that conversation. Yet Scripture has so much to say about our heart and how we handle our heart and how we posture our heart in our, in our lives. Uh, Jesus, in particular, talked about uh, the significance of love for, for us as his children. You know, Last Sunday, we introduced our discipleship pathway. I think about 90 or a little more than 90 of you have already taken uh, the discipleship survey. Congratulations to you if you've taken uh, the discipleship survey. If you haven't done that yet, you can still take the discipleship survey. Uh, you can see Pastor Joel today uh, in the back. Uh, of this room and also in the, um, out in the coffee shop area, uh, you can get more information about our discipleship pathway. You may think, well, that's not for me. No, it is for you. It's something uh, that we've put together for you. It's actually a, a financial investment that we're making into you because here at North Place, what do we do? We are a disciple-making community. It's, and it's not just something we say. It is who we are. It's what we're about. And so we thought it very fitting to make this investment into our community uh, to provide this discipleship survey. And then I think there's over 40 of you who came out this past Thursday night uh, for the launch training event uh, for the discipleship pathway. I know sometimes things come up and there may have been some of you who couldn't come this past week. I would come out this Thursday night and be a part of the discipleship pathway. It's not a class. It's not a seminar. It's not it's not another thing that we do. It's who we are. We are disciples. Amen? As followers of Jesus, we are disciples. And so we want to lean into being a disciple and making disciples. And when we talk about being a disciple, when we talk about discipleship, what we mean here at North Place, and I think you can find it very, very clear in Scripture, a disciple is someone who knows what Jesus said and who does what Jesus did, right? 
Someone who knows what Jesus said and who does what Jesus did. And so really, that's what this whole pathway is really all about. Knowing what Jesus said and doing what Jesus did. And Jesus actually had a lot to say about how the heart connects to being a disciple. I want to read to you from John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus is speaking uh, to his disciples. It's right at the end of his ministry. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready uh, to, to die as a sacrifice for our sins and, and be resurrected from the dead and ultimately return to heaven. And he's giving these last kind of talks and instructions to his disciples. And he says this to them. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another and then he makes this statement that i find to be so profound i find it to be so profound because it almost seems to me like in my religious experience growing up in the church this part has been completely forgotten and ignored he said this by this Everyone will know that you are my, my disciples if you love one another. Oftentimes I've been asked, what's the difference between Christianity and every other religion of the world? Well, Jesus said, they'll know the difference. They'll know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Some of you are looking at me like right now like, Pastor, why are, why are you, this isn't hard. Love one another. That's easy. We know how to do that. Do we? Do we really? Valentine's this time of the year um, from this past Monday, you know, it, it kind of highlights this thing. I was reading on uh, Twitter this week. This guy posted, he said, I asked my dad, Dad, what are what are you you and mom? What are y'all's plans for uh, Valentine's? What are you what are you going to do for Valentine's? And the dad responded and said, "Son, your mom and I have been married for 40 years. We don't need some special day to express our love. We know we love each other." So then the guy said he went and he asked his mom, "Mom, what are your and dad's plans for Valentine's?" And she said, "Oh, honey, your dad and I have been married for 40 years. I sure hope he has something special planned for the day. <clears throat> if two people who have been married for 40 years are not speaking the same love language, if they don't know what each other wants and needs and how they feel and express love, how in the world are you and I supposed to do this? How are you and I who come from different places, who look differently, who have had different experiences, who haven't been living with each other for 40 years? If we come from life, we have all these things that make us different and, and these two people have been together for that long and they still don't have it figured out. How in the world does Jesus look at his diverse group of disciples? And if you don't know anything about the disciples, I, I challenged you a while back uh, to, to download the app The Chosen and to watch this TV series. How many of you did that? 
I knew that, that not all of you would do it. You're hard-headed. I love you. I'm telling you. Download the app called The Chosen and watch it. Those of you who have watched it, have you enjoyed it? It's incredible. In that TV series, what, one of the things I love about it is that it kind of shows the differences in the, in, in the disciples and not just their personalities, but the fact that I think a lot of us read and think, oh, these are first century Jews. They would be very, very similar. No, they were incredibly different people. You have someone who was basically a terrorist versus someone who was actually an agent of the state, a sellout on behalf of the Jewish people. You have someone who was a religious zealot to someone who was completely irreligious. All of these groups of people Jesus brought into his inner circle, and he said, hey, now you guys love each other. And he says, to the degree that you love each other, that's how, that's how the world is going to see me through you. Loving each other is hard. It's not easy. And here's the thing I have found, that the further you get in this process of trying to love each other, the further you get in this process of trying to walk in a love relationship and really be loving towards others and receive love from others, the more you realize how fragile your heart is. The more, the more you realize how easy it is for your heart to be broken. Anybody besides me in this room ever had your heart broken? Look, a broken heart just seems to be a part of the human experience. And when we get into discipling community with one another, it accentuates the fact that we at times, we at times can break each other's heart. And you know why we break each other's heart? We break each other's heart because our hearts are broken. Because we operating from our brokenness in relationship with other people have a tendency to break them. And Jesus looked at us in community and said to us, listen, you need to love one another. You've got to love one another. You've got you've to figure this out. I don't know about you, but I know that I need the help of the Lord because here's the truth. When it comes to matters of the heart, we just don't all see it the same way. Oh, no, Pastor Randy, here in South, I, I can't tell you how many times since living in South Africa for five years, I've had over five years now, I've had people tell me, no, 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 Pastor, in South Africa, we do it this way. And I'm like, oh, that's really, because I, that's interesting, because an hour ago, I met somebody else who told me we do it this way in South Africa. The thing is, is we all have our own little subcultures, we, all, we have our own little homes, and then we believe that our way is the only way. We believe that our way of showing love and receiving love and expressing love, and we, we believe that it's the only way, and then when other people don't respond in my way, it breaks my heart. And when I don't respond how they expect me to respond, I break their heart. The heart is important to God. In Proverbs chapter 4, uh, verse 23, the, the writer, King Solomon, says this, uh, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It's significant 
It's significant what we do with our heart. If you know the book of Proverbs, especially that early part, this father is writing to his son and he's giving him instructions and he's trying to call him into his greatness. He's calling him into everything he's been uh, designed and, and, and developed for. And he's telling him, you need to get wisdom. You need to pursue wisdom. And, and, and he links this idea of wisdom in the mind with wholeness in the heart. And he, as he's balancing this, this balance between the mind and the emotions, he says to his son, above everything you do, if you hear nothing else, guard your heart. Because, son, everything in your life is going to flow out of how well you're tending your heart. See, here's the thing. When my heart is sick and my heart is broken, it's hard for me to live whole. It's hard for me to give out of a heart that is broken. It's hard for me to receive from others when there's fractures and fissures in my heart. Father says to the son, guard your heart. I believe we need to hear those words and I believe that we need to I, I believe that we need to uh, take heed to what the Lord is saying to us. The Bible talks a lot about what we do with our heart and how we handle our heart, what we do with our mind and how we handle our mind. You remember scriptures like renew your mind, right? Scriptures like not the one we just read, not just the one we read, guard your heart, but also search my heart, O God. Scriptures like take out this heart of stone, O God. The Bible has a lot to say with, about how we handle our mind and how we handle our heart. Scripture tells us to take every thought captive. Not just some thoughts, not just the thoughts I like, but he says take every thought captive. Scripture tells us, oh Lord, oh Lord, help me, search me. Help me to find my ways in you. My ways are unclear, Lord, I need your way. Bible talks about so often what we do with our soul. The Bible talks about what we do and how we live in discipline when it comes to our mind and will and emotions. Because if we're not careful with our mind and will and emotion, things will creep in. And it will break our hearts to the point where we're not, not just capable of serving others, but that we can't even love ourselves but here's what's so interesting to me about matters of the heart and especially the world that we live in when it comes to matters of the heart this morning I wanted to ref just make sure I had the right number so I I did a google search again this morning I've been doing it over the last several days I did a google search this morning for a really common phrase that I hear all the time you probably hear it too follow your heart I know some of you have heard it because I've seen you post uh, memes about it on Instagram. Oh my goodness, my pastor's following me. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Some of you. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Follow. That's the mantra of the world, right? Follow your heart. You be you. You do what feels right to you. Follow your instinct. Follow your gut. Right? We hear those expressions. I Googled it this morning. 4,480,000,000 results on the phrase, follow your heart, in 0.78 seconds, Google responded to me. Billions of articles and podcasts and teachings and trainings and books telling us 
programming us, pushing us to follow, oh, I love to follow your bliss. <laughs> variation after variation after variation of what is so incredibly interesting connects all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 where man decided in his own heart that he wanted to be his own God. Follow your heart. The difficult thing about that is as I dig into scripture and I, I dig into what scripture says about the heart, I find some interesting things. One of them you find in Jeremiah chapter 17. I want to encourage you during your daily 20 this week. I, I know you probably have Bible reading. You, you're probably all on Bible reading plans and all that stuff for the year, and that's wonderful. Keep going with all of that. But, but just take a little, little extra time. I know, you know we, do, we do at a minimum uh, of, of five minutes in worship. We, we do at, at minimum five minutes of prayer and five minutes of, of meditating, just listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we all commit to here at North Place at least five minutes of, of reading Scripture. I'm going to ask you for six this week, okay? Because I want to invite you, I want to encourage you to read Jeremiah chapter 17. Because I don't have time to read the whole thing to you this morning. But Jeremiah chapter 17, in the, in the sort of the middle of the chapter, you read this verse of scripture. It says this, Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can Understand it. Whoa, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like follow your bliss to me. That doesn't sound like follow your heart to me. That doesn't sound like you do you, babe. That sounds very, very different. Sounds like it's in conflict with what I'm told on social media streams and bookshelves and podcasts and magazine articles and, oh, all the superstars and reality stars and not-so-bright stars <laughs> who feel all too free to tell me what to do and what to think and how to live and how to be, who seem all too free in invoking the name of Jesus in a way that seems utterly and completely inconsistent with Scripture, who tell me that I should be, ultimately, I should be my own God. I should determine my own way. I should make my own path. On and on, constantly telling me to just do what seems right to me. And yet scripture in the middle of that says to me, you know what, Randy? Don't just be you. Don't follow your bliss. Don't follow your heart. You can't trust your own heart, Randy. That's what Jeremiah chapter 17 is saying. See, when you may say, well, Pastor, hang on a second. I'm, I'm struggling to understand this. What does the Bible mean when it, when it talks about the heart? Well, the Bible, when it describes the heart, you got to understand this is, from, this is not from a, a 2022 mindset. It's not biologically talking in most cases about our physical heart. When, when, when an ancient mind talks about, when an ancient person talked about the heart, they really were referring in most cases to what you and I would often call, not completely and totally, but, but often what we would call our soul. They were talking about our mind, our will, and our emotions, sort of the seed of our being. 
So when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about your mind, it's talking about your will, and it's talking about your emotions. And Jeremiah chapter 17, when you go and you read it, you're going to read this just really epic chapter in the Bible. And it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a smackdown from God to his people. God has sent the prophet Jeremiah, and he's speaking specifically, it, it, it kind of, the whole book is there, but it picks up in chapter 16 and through chapter 17, really a response to Judah, God's people, and how, how they are sort of in rebellion against God, or they've walked away from God, but yet they, they're, they're in this place where they have an expectation of God's blessing, uh, they want wealth, and they want prosperity, and they're all too eager to evoke the name of God so they can get stuff, and, and and so their culture and their identity as being God's people, they want to hang on to that, but they want to let go of God. They want God's stuff, but they don't want God's rule. They want the riches of his kingdom, but they don't want him as their king. Are you with me? And so God is responding to them through the prophet Jeremiah, and he's really writing or speaking to them a correction. And so Jeremiah chapter 17 really is this correction. And, and I've seen a lot of verses of Scripture from Jeremiah chapter 17 taken out of context. And there's a lot of chap verses in, in Jeremiah taken out of context and just applied to us as if it's magic secret sauce to give us the life that we want to get. But if you really will read the book, and if you really read chapter 17, it's one of correction. And it is a relevant correction to us. Because as God is, is speaking uh, to this group of people, here's what's happened. They have begun to involve themselves in all kinds of idolatry. They've involved themselves in forsaking the, the ways of God. They've forsaken justice. They've forsaken holiness and righteousness. And they've intermingled with the world around them. And they've said, listen, God, we want your stuff, but we don't, we, we don't want your way. God, we, we, we want your blessings, but, but, but we want to we do it our way. We want to follow our heart. We want to worship where we want to worship and how we want to worship. We know that your, your word has given us instructions about how we worship, but you know what? We want to worship the way we want, and we want to worship the gods we want to worship. And, and you know what, God? You know, you got to calm down a little bit and stop being such a jealous God. I mean, aren't there, aren't there many ways to find your light? Aren't there many ways to realize your true identity? I mean, there's these other gods. And no, you're still our God. We're still, we're still Judah. We're still your people. I, I'm still a Christian, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to flirt with this other God a little bit because he's kind of cool. And everybody around me, you know, they go up to the Asher Pole and they worship. And I, I don't want to make them feel awkward, so I'll just, I'll, I'll just go. You know, I don't want to make them feel bad. I don't want to single anybody out. So I'll just, I'll participate a little bit. But hey, God, you know we're good. Hello? So there's this idolatry. And what's really crazy is it, it becomes so embedded in who they are that it's being passed from one generation to another generation. And now they're all upset with God because they've taught their children how to live half-hearted as God's people. And their children are beginning to reap the consequences of idol worship. Their children are beginning to reap the consequences of being compromised in the area of their economics. 
Their children are beginning to reap the consequences of brokenness. And now their children are being taken into poverty. Their children are being taken into slavery. And they're shaking their fist at God and saying, God, where are you? Why aren't my children being taken care of? Why are my children involved in all of this stuff? And and God says, your children are behaving just like you. And they're getting exactly what you're getting. Because you've taught them. You've taught them a culture of following me, but a reality of doing whatever you want. You've taught them a culture that puts on a show as if I'm your God, but a reality that says I'm my own God. I'm going to follow my own path. I'm going to do things my own way. Man, this sermon is really popular. I bet the downloads are going to be off the chart. I don't have time to go through all of Jeremiah 17. I really uh, wish I did. But I'm going to sum it up for you because really the whole book, you, sometimes when you read these Old Testament uh, books, some of these Old Testament chapters, it can be hard to kind of figure out, well, what is this, like what's going on here? What, is this, what does this have to do with me? I'm, I wasn't alive then and there. Really, Jeremiah chapter 17 and this whole discourse is about God fundamentally challenging his people on where they are putting their trust. And so when Jeremiah the prophet says, your heart is, is broken, it's sick, you can't trust it. What he's talking about and what he's challenging, and if you go, when you go read the chapter this week during your daily 20, you're going to see this theme come over and over and over. And that's how you, when you study your Bible, when you read your Bible, when you're trying to understand your Bible, one of the things that you do is you look for repeated phrases or concepts or themes. Often the biblical writer will say something, and then he'll say it again a little bit different, and then he'll say it again a little bit different. And, and in the saying of those things, there's a theme that comes out, and that theme really is the message that God is trying to get across to his people. And the message of Jeremiah chapter 17 is God is saying to his people, trust me. Trust me. Because here's the thing. A healthy heart is impossible with misplaced trust. When a couple have been married for 40 years and the wife trusts that the husband recognizing the wonder and beauty of their relationship is going to plan something special for the day. And the husband is of the mindset that well, we love each other every day. Why do I have to do something special on this day? And she gets upset because her trust, right, is violated and is broken. And then she gets upset, and then he gets upset, and he's insulted because, baby, I love you every day. Why do I have to do something special? Don't we have something special every day? Because they're wired differently. They think some of you women are like, no, nah, he's not wired differently. He's lazy. No, because they're wired different and they think different. When trust is violated, it's impossible to have a healthy heart. We know it's true. Many of us. And I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. Please hear me and understand me. Many of us in this room have had our hearts broken, and they've been broken when trust has been violated. And here was the problem. The people of God's hearts were not bent toward God. They were not trusting God. And because they were not trusting God, they were trusting themselves. 
Jeremiah specifically says you put your trust in man. And it's because you put your trust in man, because you've put your trust in man, you come up in lack. You come up in brokenness. Your heart becomes cold and bitter and hard, as hard as stone, he says in Jeremiah chapter 17. What God was saying to his people was, trust me. Don't even trust your own mind, will, and emotions. Trust me. Don't even trust your own gut. Trust me. One of the things that we're learning in our discipleship pathway is a a powerful tool that every one of us can use to both be a disciple and disciple others. And it's a powerful tool that I would encourage you, especially those of you who are parents, to begin to put into place in your household. And it it is a very simple circle of, of being a disciple. And it asks really two questions. What is God saying and what am I going to do about it? So when it comes to a crisis, when it comes to a problem, when it comes to an everyday decision, what is God saying about that? Now what am I going to do about it? Jeremiah was writing to the people and he was saying to them, listen, if you're going to be God's people, then it starts with putting your trust in him. But you've put your trust in yourself and because you put your trust in man, in your ability to create wealth, in your ability to create health, in your ability to sustain life, because you put your trust in yourself, your heart gets harder and colder and more and more sick. Going back to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. Remember that conversation between a father and a son. This is what the father says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Remember, when the Bible is talking about the heart, it's talking about your mind, will, and emotions, the seat of your being. Lean not on your own understanding. Get this, in all your ways, acknowledge him. It doesn't just mean sending God a thumbs up emoji. When the Bible says in all of your ways acknowledge him, it's meaning that that word is meaning in all of your ways you go to him and you surrender it to him and you say, what is God saying? Now what am I going to do about it? In all of my ways, and how I make my financial decisions, and how I make my parenting decisions, and how I make my romantic decisions, and how I make my business decisions, and how I make my educational decisions. What is my career gonna be? Where am I gonna, what am I gonna do with my career? It's not just what seems right to me, it's not just what seems good to me. In fact, the Bible talks about how man gets in trouble when we do what seems right and good to us. Instead, what should we do? We should acknowledge, we should surrender, we should submit our ways to him and then get this. And he will make straight your paths. When I ask people, how can I pray for you? The number one thing that people tell me, pray that I'll be blessed. I, usually, I don't do this, but I'm going to tell you what I really want to do. I want to say no. I'm going to pray that your your path is straight. How about that? I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will do a work in you to the point that you can submit all your ways to him. How about I pray that? 
Because here's what scripture says. Scripture says that when I do that, when you do that, my path will be straight. Blessing won't be something I have to beg for. It'll be my reality. I'm going to tell you guys a secret about Desiree and I. We're blessed. We're blessed. I'm going to tell you about my wife. My wife loves Jesus. She's loved Jesus her whole life. There's no one on the earth that I admire more. And you want to know why I admire her? Not just because she's beautiful, not just because she's funny, not just because she's a lot of fun to be with. I admire her because her ways, ever since I've known her, have been submitted to the Lord. From a little girl, she submitted her ways to the Lord. And because she submitted her ways to the Lord her whole life, her path has been made straight. Oh, you mean everything's been wonderful and sunshine and and flowers and puppies and no, she married me. You know it's been hard sometimes. (laughs) It's been hard at times, but the path has been straight. She's blessed, not because she's perfect, but because her ways have been submitted. The secret sauce is submit your ways. Don't trust your heart. Don't trust your mind. Don't trust what you think. Don't trust your gut. Instead, trust God. What does he say? And then what am I going to do about it? For some of us, our biggest problem is this issue of trust. And what God was calling his people to in Jeremiah chapter 17 and what he was demonstrating and saying to them is you're putting your trust in the wrong place. You're putting your trust in man. You're trusting your own heart, your own ability to reason and figure it out, your own feelings about a circumstance and a situation and your intuition. You're trusting the wrong thing. God says, trust me and you will be blessed. Obedience to the way of the Lord is the way of blessing. Here's the thing. Proverbs teaches us this. Trust, trusting God, it simplifies the complexities that derail our path. You know who's Randy's biggest problem? Randy. Some of you were pointing at other people. Don't do that. Y'all are kind of, no, my biggest problem is me. I don't know, I don't know if you do this, but I do this. You ever get stuck in your own head? You ever just think yourself into an abyss? I, I, uh, I'm a scenarios person. I've got a very active imagination. I've always had it. And, um. And that active imagination loves to engage. And boy, I just get caught up in these scenarios. I've got a problem. I'm facing a difficulty. I don't know what to do. My mind just starts running all of these scenarios. Well, if I do this, then this is going to happen. If I say this, then she's going to say that. If I say this, he's going to do that. Then this will happen. Yeah, anybody but me. What do they mean when they say that? Oh, I bet they meant this. (laughs) Oh, you just know when he said that, what he was really trying to say was this. Because my past experiences have taught me that when someone else does this, they mean this and this is that. Oh, my goodness, we get caught in our own head. I have a feeling for some people in this room, you're like me. Your biggest problem is you. Your biggest problem is that you get stuck in your own head. 
Your biggest problem is that you think yourself into depression and oppression. You think yourself into fatigue. You think yourself into sickness. You think yourself into a dark hole. You think yourself into such anger and rage that people in your life are like, what is going on with that dude? Five minutes ago, we were having a wonderful conversation. Now he's ripping my head off. What is going on? Here's the thing. When we trust God, that he is our father and that he is for our good, it sure simplifies things. It makes our path straight. When I know who I am in Christ Jesus and I trust the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, it makes Things simple. No, Pastor, you don't understand my family situation. You don't understand my career. You don't understand. No, you're right. I don't understand your stuff, but I do know this. When I trust God, it makes things simple. What did he say? Now, what am I going to do about it? What did he say? Now, what am I going to do about it? Trust makes complex things simple. Well, if I don't figure this out, then well. Just trust God. Oh, but there's these people and they worship on this mountain and they do these things and I could offend them and then they may attack me and then I may lose my job. Just trust God. But so-and-so said I should do this and I, I would really, I really want to make money and if I, if I start this business and because, because I, I'm feeling God's calling me to start this business but I have this really good job over here and I don't want to leave this job because if I leave this job then I won't be able to pay my kids school fees and if I can't pay my kids school fees they're never going to make it in life. And yet God is calling me over here to this business to start this business but that's a risk and, and I don't know what's going to happen. What did God say? Oh, but pastor, you don't know how I've been hurt. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know my trauma. You're right, I don't, but I know who does. And what does he say? Some of us spend so much time in our own head, listening to our own thoughts, our own hearts, our own hurts, our own emotions, that we simply cannot, we simply cannot be at peace. Very quickly, very quickly, before I close, I want to give you two tools that are going to help you with a sick heart let's call them heart checks and they're scripture first one you find in philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says this for those of you who get stuck in your head for those of us who get stuck in the abyss of our own mind you need to memorize you need to memorize everyone say the word memorize you need to memorize philippians chapter 4 verse 8 and now dear brothers and sisters one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true. If you cannot prove that it is true, it is an assumption. Some of you are tortured because you're living in your assumptions. Some of us are tormented because we are living in our assumptions. A test, a question that you need to ask yourself for those things that are tormenting you at night. Is this true? And if the answer is not 100%, I know this is true, then the Bible says I cannot, I should not fix my mind on that thing. 
unless it is 100% verifiable. How do I know that it's true? Therefore, I should not fix my thoughts on that thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable. I may know something is true about you, but fixing my mind on it violates the fact that it's honorable towards you. Well, I know he's a jerk. It's true. I can give you example after example after example after example. You know the same person I'm talking about. Oh, I know he's a jerk. It's true, pastor. I can think about that. Is it honorable? Is it honorable to stay and camp out in that place? Is it honorable to just keep pounding that same, oh, he's a jerk. Yeah, he may be, but is it honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Some of us need to do some house cleaning up here. We're allowing things into our mind. We're fixating on things that are not pure. And it's creating torment in our life. I'm going to say it. You want your marriage bed to get better? Clean out what's going on up here. Purify your mind. Righteousness and holiness is not out of style. It's not old fogey. Oh, that's the past. There's a reason for it. Sanctify your mind. It'll affect everything else in your life. And for those of you who are single, you want it to be amazing? You want it to be amazing? Sanctify your mind. Purify your mind. Go into that covenant relationship in the future and be able to look that person in the face and be able to say, you're the only one I think about. You're the only one I see. You're the only one I see. My, my mind is pure for you. Well, that's popular. <laughs> is it lovely? Is it admirable? Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You want to get out of your mind? You want to get out of being stuck in your mind? You want to get out of the dungeon, the torment? And come on, somebody, I know many of us are living there. The torment of our mind. Here's one tool that you can use. Memorize Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Learn to quote it. Quote it every day. Hold yourself accountable to it. Please, please, please don't use it as a whipping tool for everybody else. Use it as a way to discipline yourself. Ask yourself the question, is this true? Is this honorable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? If it's not, 
If it's not, then do away with that. Move away from it. Stop fixating on it. The second tool I want to give you, the other side of this. So many of us get stuck. We need a heart check. We have a sick heart because our mind is fixated on things. Let me give you another tool. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Well, Pastor, we, we see love differently. We express love differently. We experience love differently. We have different love languages. All of that's true. Pastor, my culture and your culture, we, we show love differently. All of that's true. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples because you have love for one another. So therefore, we must figure out what is he talking about when he says we must have love for one another. Thankfully, we have 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that talks to these spiritual people who are, so spiritual, but doesn't know how to love each other. Oh, you're so spiritual. You're so spiritual. You come together and your church is dysfunctional because you're so spiritual and you can pray over each other and you can prophesy over each other, but you can't love each other and therefore no one knows you're my disciples. Here's how we'll know. Here's how they'll know you're my disciples. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. Holy cow. Love is kind. How does this work, Pastor? Well, here's how it works. It's really simple. Am I impatient? Then I'm not loving. When I'm behaving towards you in a way that is unkind, I am not loving. It's really simple. It's not rocket science. Love is patient. Love is kind. So when I'm being unkind, I am being unloving. When I am being impatient, I am being unloving. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. It's not envious. I don't look at what you have and covet what you have and demand what you have and expect what you have because I'm not jealous of you. I'm not jealous of your intelligence. I'm not jealous of your beauty. I'm not jealous of your opportunities. I'm not jealous of your wealth. I rejoice with you. Because I love you. When I'm jealous, I am not loving. It is not boastful. I don't know what he was thinking earlier when he said, Desiree and he are blessed. Or he was boastful, right? <laughs> love is not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. Sir, when you're rude, you're not loving. You may have all the excuses in the world, but you're not loving. Ma'am, when you're, when you're rude... You may be in a hurry, but you're certainly not demonstrating the fact that you're a disciple. It does not demand its own way. See, here's the thing. About everything that you're hearing in pop psychology and modern psychology and all the people, everything about it is demand your way. Assert yourself. Make sure you get your way. It's your world. You do whatever you want. It is the exact opposite of a life that is surrendered to the love of God. The love of God and the surrender to the Spirit of God says, I do not demand my own way. Baby, it is not about me. The secret to a loving relationship is surrender. It's not about me. It is not irritable. I'll just keep going. It keeps, boy, this one gets us too. It keeps no record of being wronged. Folks, you got to tear up the scorecard and throw it away. 
You got to stop keeping score in your marriages. You got to stop keeping score in your relationships, in your homes, in your families. You've got to stop keeping score. That's not love. That is a transactional relationship. That is not love. That's a business partnership. That is not love. Love is not keeping score. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. I could go on for hours about our socio-reality in the world today and how that just the temperature of the world, social media in particular, is all about rejoicing at the demise, the wound, the hurt, the failure, the mistake of others. Cancel culture is all about why they need to be exposed. It's all about hatefulness. It is the antithesis of what love is. And I love my posture is not to attack what I'm against. When I love my posture is to rejoice in, to declare to focus on what I'm for. Because here's, here's what love knows. Love knows that truth is going to win out. And love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love never quits. So here's two tools, Philippians 4.8, 1 Corinthians 13. Memorize them. Use them in the grid of your life. Pastor, how do I keep my heart healthy? I hear Jeremiah 17. I, I, I don't need to trust my heart. I need to put my trust in God. How do, I, how do I have a healthy heart? Here's how you have a healthy heart, a healthy being, a healthy soul, a healthy mind, will, and emotions. Here's how you guard it all. You create the filters of your life. Philippians 4, 1 Corinthians 13. You ask yourselves the question, is this truth, is this loving Create those filters in your life, and it keeps you from the places whereby you live heart sick. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes for a moment. If, if you could, if you would, please, just close your eyes for a moment. Lord, thank you for each one of my friends who are here today. I love them passionately and deeply. And Lord, today's message is one of those in which you call us to a place of growth, that challenges the cultural norm. Lord, as Christians, we're not to follow our own heart. To Christians, we're not to follow our own gut. As Christians, we're not to follow our own bliss, our own will, our own perspective. In fact, Lord, as Christians, we're called to crucify our flesh. We're called to reject our flesh. We're called to walk by the Spirit. We're called to know the voice of God and to follow the voice of God. So, Lord, I thank you for teaching us this morning. I thank you for teaching us this morning that we are to seek your word. We are to follow it. And I ask you, Lord, that as we go about our week, that you would make our paths straight. In everything we do, in every decision we make, and everywhere we go, make our paths straight. 
May we know your voice. May we know your word. And may we follow it. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.